tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Friday, September 3rd, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, what if a room could charge all of your devices just by them being in there? Like no wires, no charging pads, just being in the room. Some engineers have made that a reality. Plus, new insights into the billion years of time that are missing from the rock layers in the Grand Canyon. And why red delicious apples are so common in the U.S. even though they're not really that great. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. A room that wirelessly charges all of your devices just by them being in there. Amazingly convenient? Too good to be true? Pointless? Dangerous? The jury is still out on public reception, but engineers from the University of Tokyo have built a prototype that transmits energy to electronic devices without the need for plugs or batteries. And we're not just talking about laptops and tablets, but even home appliances. Quoting Scientific American, The room relies on the same phenomenon as short-range wireless phone chargers. A metal coil placed in a magnetic field will produce an electric current. Existing commercial charging docks use electricity from a wall outlet to produce a magnetic field in a small area. Most recent smartphones are equipped with a metal coil, and when such a model is placed on the dock, the interaction generates enough current to power the phone's battery. But today's commercial products have a very limited range. If you lift a phone off the dock or swathe it in a case that is too thick, the wireless power transfer ceases. But if a magnetic field filled a whole room, any phone within it would have access to wireless power. End quote. And here's how the University of Tokyo team did it, quoting Australia's ABC News. They first built a 3x3x2-meter room with floor, ceiling, and walls made of aluminum sheet metal housing capacitors. The capacitors transmitted an electric current through the floor, ceiling, and walls, which generated a magnetic field that reverberated within the room. Devices equipped with small coil receivers could then tap this magnetic field for power. The researchers charged a phone and ran a light and fan all at once in the room and all wirelessly. The study's lead author, Takuya Sisitani, said the team found the wireless power transfer was at least 50% efficient throughout most, 98%, of the room. And they achieved this uniformity by generating a second magnetic field designed to fill the dead zones of the first. The two fields generated within the volume compensate each other, he said, end quote. So that is pretty rad. But is it safe? 
Running a current through those metal walls would fill it with both electric and magnetic waves, and electric fields can be dangerous to our human meat sacks. The team accounted for this too, though. Quoting again from Scientific American, the team embedded capacitors, devices that store electric energy in the walls. It confines the safe magnetic fields within the room volume while confining hazardous parts inside all the components embedded inside the walls, Sasatani explains. The researchers also tested the room's safety by running computer simulations measuring what the human body would be exposed to in a digital model of the powered room. Authorities such as the Federal Communications Commission have established standards for how much electromagnetic radiation the human body can safely be exposed to, and the simulation suggested the absorption of energy in the test room would remain well below acceptable limits." End quote. The team notes that they're not saying it's 100% safe right now, but the tests they've done indicate that it can be well within safety regulations and still be effective at charging. Now, while I hadn't heard of a whole charging room before, the wireless charging sector is booming right now as tons of researchers and startups try to hit on the next big thing. And the idea of wireless charging goes all the way back to Nikola Tesla in the late 1800s. Quoting Interesting Engineering, The Tesla coil was a unique device that worked on the principle of electrical resonance and was able to transmit electricity without wires. However, the coil could conduct electricity wirelessly over short distances only, and due to its limited potential, it didn't turn out to be a practical application for wireless electricity transfer. Tesla was still obsessed with his idea of wireless power, so in the years that followed, he worked on building an energy station that could conduct high-voltage wireless power transmission, or WPT. Through this experimentation, Tesla aimed to transmit messages wirelessly at long distances, using either a series of strategically positioned towers or a system of suspended balloons. He conducted a wireless transmission station in Long Island, called the Tesla or Wardenclyffe Tower, which he believed could demonstrate that long-range wireless electricity transmission was possible. Unfortunately, investor J.P. Morgan refused to provide more funds for his experiments, and the project was shut down in 1906 and later demolished. End quote. Tesla would never see his dream achieved, but today, tons of places are innovating on his concept of using the Earth as a medium for transmitting power as opposed to wires. Interesting engineering points to solar power satellites in high Earth orbit that transmit microwaves from sunlight to a grid or antenna on Earth. And New Zealand startup MROD is working on a sort of laser-looking tele-energy tech using antennas and rectennas that could enable New Zealand to go fully wireless, even in rural and mountainous areas. There's also an American company working on wireless charging for electric vehicles that could be installed under roads or parking lots so cars can charge on the go. The Indiana Department of Transportation has teamed up with a German cement company and Purdue University to work on similar technology. There is a ton happening in this realm that I am stoked to see develop over the coming years. And as for the wireless charging room, study co-author Allenson Sample reminds us that it's early days but that they're feeling optimistic. Quote, it's just too burdensome to put aluminum sheets all over your walls. That benefit doesn't make sense yet. We've just developed a brand new technique. Now we have to go figure out how to make it practical. End quote. The Grand Canyon is among the most awe-inspiring sites in the world, and carries within it a few mysteries. Chief among them is the Great Unconformity, a term coined in the mid-1800s and used in reference to a few other rock faces but referring to roughly the same thing, a gap in the geological strata. For the Grand Canyon, the Great Unconformity is a gap in the sedimentary record of about a billion years. 
In some places, there are rocks dating back 520 million years that lay right on top of rock layers from 1.4 billion years ago. The cause of this billion-year gap is something scientists have debated for generations. Now, a new study from geologists at the University of Colorado Boulder, published last month in the journal Geology, is shedding new light on what may have led to the Great Unconformity. Quoting CU Boulder today, The team reports that a series of small yet violent faulting events may have rocked the region during the breakup of an ancient supercontinent called Rodinia. The resulting havoc likely tore up the earth around the canyon, causing rocks and sediment to wash away and into the ocean. To explore the transition, Barra Peak, lead author of the new study and a graduate student in geological sciences at CU Boulder, and her colleagues employed a method called thermochronology, which tracks the history of heat in stone. Peak explained that when geological formations are buried deep underground, the pressure building on top of them can cause them to get toasty. That heat, in turn, leaves a trace in the chemistry of minerals in those formations, end quote. And from Vice, quote, By analyzing minerals collected in seven locations across the Grand Canyon, Peek and her colleagues aim to find evidence that might support one of the various explanations that scientists have proposed to account for the missing gap in time. The results revealed distinct temperature patterns in the ancient rock samples, even within the relatively small region that the team sampled. For instance, Peek and her colleagues found that samples from the western side of their field studies contained rocks that had risen to the surface of Earth about 700 million years ago, whereas samples from the eastern areas were still miles underground at that time, buried in hotter and denser layers of the planet." End quote. That two different events may have resulted in the eastern versus western parts of the canyon was very surprising. The researchers do still think it had something to do with the breakup of Rodinia, just that it tore at the eastern and western parts in different ways at different times. The team will now be studying sites of the Great Unconformity in other locations in North America to compare and find additional insight, although the Grand Canyon was certainly one of the best places to start. As Peak explains it, the Grand Canyon is like, quote, Earth's history textbook. If you scale down the canyon's rock faces, you can jump back almost two billion years into the planet's past. End quote. So there is a lot that we can learn about the Earth writ large just from studying the Grand Canyon. But nonetheless, the team is excited to investigate how other parts of North America and the rest of the world may have been affected by the breakup of Rodinia, and not just rely on answers from one location, no matter how great or grand it may be. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding expectations, simplifying lives, and establishing legacies that last for generations. Leverage their exclusive network of experts to help achieve your personal and professional financial goals. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect to a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. If you're going to call a food delicious, you better be pretty certain that it actually is. I mean, that's a high bar to live up to. It's usually an epithet that a food earns. In fact, if you have to say it, maybe that means it really isn't true to begin with. That seems to be the case with red delicious apples. Depending on who you ask, but it seems like the majority of people these days would agree that, yeah, red delicious apples aren't really all they're cracked up to be. They might look tasty from the outside, but the grainy inside rarely delivers. 
or as AV Club describes them, quote, The Red Delicious varietal aren't so much America's shittiest fruit subgroup as they are pasty, coarse, semi-sweet hunks of plywood carved by agricultural goblins as part of some sick, cruel joke thrust upon elementary school students, hotel guests, and already suffering hospital patients, end quote. Despite that, Red Delicious apples were the top-selling apples in the United States for over 50 years, only losing their crown in 2018 to the humble gala. See, there's an apple that knows how to name itself. It's got a subtle hint of a fun party, but it's not being overt about its taste accomplishments. But anyways, Red Delicious Apples dominated this nation for half a century with their ostentatious name, but these days, no one really likes them that much. So what gives? Well, in the beginning, they apparently really were delicious. Quoting New England Today, The story begins with the Ben Davis Apple. Extremely popular during the 19th century and early 20th century, this cultivar was known to fruit growers as a mortgage lifter because it was so reliable. Alas, all of this was due to the apple's good looks, however, rather than its taste. In the late 1880s, Iowa farmer Jesse Hyatt stumbled across a mystery apple seedling in his orchard. Despite his repeated attempts to stop the interloper from taking root, it continued to spring up year after year. Hyatt eventually gave up and dubbed the apple Hawkeye in honor of his home state. In 1893, hoping to find an apple with the beauty of a Ben Davis but with superior taste, Missouri-based Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards held a contest. Hyatt submitted his Hawkeye apple for consideration. After one bite of Hyatt's creation, the president of Stark Brothers exclaimed, My, this apple is delicious! He paused, then declared, That will be its name. End quote. And yes, Marvel fans, the Red Delicious Apple was originally named Hawkeye and was bought by some entrepreneuring brothers named Stark. And originally, it was called the Stark Delicious. It didn't get the Red Delicious name until 1914 when the brothers named another apple the Golden Delicious and then renamed the Red One to match. But apparently back then, the Red Delicious really was quite tasty, despite the fact that people thought it looked kind of weird. Red Delicious apples were a bit more oblong than round and had more distinct bumps on the bottom than people were used to back then. The original ones from Hyatt's Farm were also red with golden stripes, not the darker solid red that we're familiar with now. And remember, his Red Delicious apples were an accident that he just let keep going. But as more and more farmers grew the Red Delicious apples on their own trees, some of them picked up slightly different genetic expressions, which tends to happen with crops. One mutation was some of the Red Delicious apples losing the golden stripes, becoming more bright red, and therefore more popular with customers. So farmers favored that version of the apple, but what they didn't realize at first was that, according to Amy Traverso, author of The Apple Lover's Cookbook, quote, a lot of the genes that coded for the flavor-producing compounds were on the same chromosomes as the genes for the yellow-striped skin. So as you favored the more consistently red-colored apples, you were essentially disfavoring the same genes that coded for great flavor, end quote. So you had better-looking apples that didn't taste as good, and thicker skin that was good for transport but not for biting into. And suddenly, the miraculous Red Delicious was in the same boat as the old Ben Davis. Nice-looking and reliable, but not at all tasty. As Traverso puts it, quote, "...they literally bred the flavor out of the apple." End quote. 
Fortunately, customers and farmers alike have finally come around to the idea that the Red Delicious just isn't so delicious anymore. Farmers have started prioritizing galas as well as Fujis and Honeycrisps and giving up on Red Delicious. Poor Jesse Hyatt. His legacy ended with a long, drawn-out, inbreeding whimper. I wish I could taste one of the originals, but at least their distasteful progeny will be haunting our shelves less and less as the years go on. Well, here's a fun, feel-good story to end off the week. Cape Verde Paralympic sprinter Kula Nadrea Pereira Semedo finished fourth in the women's 200-meter T11 qualifying heat earlier this week, which means she just missed out on advancing to the semifinals. But at the end of the race, her guide, Manuel Antonio Vaz de Vega, got down on one knee right there on the track and proposed to her. I'm going to assume, based on her enthusiastic yes, that they were actually together before this race and it wasn't totally random. Apparently, this wasn't even the first proposal of the Tokyo Games. NPR points out that during the Olympics, Argentine fencer Maria Balin Perez Maurice's partner and coach proposed to her by holding up a sign in the background of an interview while she was on air. Well, I guess that's one way to make sure the proposal was recorded. And considering both of these pairs trained together, just imagine how many more proposals might have happened if athletes were able to actually be accompanied by their non-coach or guide partners this year. Brace yourself for Proposal Central at the Winter Games. But anyways, just one quick note before I go. This Monday is Labor Day here in the U.S., so Ride Home will be observing that by taking the day off. I hope you are able to relax a little this weekend as well, whether you get that extra day off or not. Either way, I will talk to you again on Tuesday.